Hey there, Chip Close here, host of the Restaurant Strategy Podcast. By now, I'm sure you're aware I wrote a book, my very first book. It's called The Restaurant Marketing Mindset, and it's available anywhere you get your books. So Amazon, yes. Barnes & Noble, yes. Run a quick Google search. You will find tons of other booksellers where it is available. You can also go first party if you want to support me rather than going third party. Go directly to our website, The Restaurant Marketing Mindset. Dot com. You can get your book there, and I'd appreciate it. I love uh, the look, the feel of the book, and I'm really proud of the content. It will help you market your restaurant better. And then make sure to come back, because today I'm sitting down with Eric Cacciatore. Eric is the host of the Restaurant Unstoppable podcast. It is the number one restaurant podcast on the internet. He's been podcasting for over 10 years, and today I have the great fortune to be able to turn the microphone on him. I'm asking him how he gets started, some of the insights uh, and, and perspectives he's gained over a decade uh, of podcasting tons of insights i can't wait for you to hear this interview don't go anywhere there's an old saying that goes something like this you'll only find three kinds of people in the world those who see those who will never see and those who can see when shown this is restaurant strategy a podcast with answers for anyone who's looking Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast dedicated solely to helping you build a more profitable restaurant. Each week I leverage my 20 plus years in the industry to help you build that more profitable and more sustainable business. I also work directly with owners and operators all over the world through my P3 Mastermind program. If you've got a successful business but struggle to generate consistent, predictable 20% profits each and every month, then set up a free call, a strategy session with me or someone from my team. We can learn more about you and your restaurant. You can ask some questions about the program. Let's see if you're a good fit for the program. We are making an impact currently Currently, we've got nearly 100 members spread across three different groups. The impact we make works. The work is working. Uh, set up that call. The best way to do that is to visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. Set up that free call with me or someone from my team. And yes, you better believe it. That link is in the show notes. Now. Thousands of restaurants across the country use Kickfin to send instant cashless tip payouts directly to their employees' bank accounts the second their shift ends. It's a really simple solution to a really big problem. Because, let's face it, paying out cash tips to your workers day after day, shift after shift, it's a kind of a nightmare. Tedious tip distribution takes managers away from work that matters. It's hard to track payments, which leads to accounting and compliance headaches. Plus, cash tip-outs create the perfect opportunity for theft. And there's never enough cash on hand to pay out tips, so managers are constantly making bank runs. Bottom line, there's never been a secure, efficient way to tip out until now. Meet Kickfin. Kickfin is an easy-to-use software that sends real-time, cashless tip payouts straight to your employees' bank accounts 24-7, 365. Tipping out with Kickfin gives managers and operators hours back in their day. It makes reporting a breeze and protects your business from mistakes and theft. And guess what? Employees love it, so it's a great recruiting tool. Best of all, restaurants can have Kickfin up and running literally overnight. Employees can enroll in seconds, no hardware, no contracts, no setup fees. Get in touch today for a personalized demo and see how restaurants and bars across the country are tipping out with Kickfin. Visit kickfin.com slash demo, and yes, that link is in the show notes. Now, as I said at the top, my guest on today's show is Eric Cacciatore. Eric is the host of the Restaurant Unstoppable podcast. It is the number one restaurant podcast on the internet. More than a thousand episodes at this point. A really impressive backlog. He's talked to tons of industry leaders to, to, to understand what makes them tick, how they excel at their job, and why they do what they do. There's so much I want to get into over the course of today's conversation. But first, got to welcome this guy to the show. Eric, it's great to have you. Man, thanks for having me. Psyched to be here. Can't wait to get the, the tables turned on me. We are. I'm going to. You said you are chaos. Um, you, I am. <laughs> uh, what you do is extraordinary. And Thank I you. think any of us, right, it's been said, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And when I decided to start my podcast in 2019, I took a really long, hard look at the podcasts that were already out there. Um, and I did sort of what I preach all the time. I tried to differentiate myself. I just said, 
well, that guy's doing that. Famously, I said, I'm never going to do any interviews on this show. Um, and I largely said that because you do such great interviews Thank on you. your show. They're they're long and meandering and thorough and broad. And I just thought there's there's just nothing I can do. What I found over the course of the couple of years since doing this is that my audience really did want interviews. Uh, so I decided to do it my own way. I'm going to do this interview my own way. So it's going to be a little different than what you do. Uh, I hope you'll go with me on that. Right. I mean, there's no right way to do anything, honestly. I think there's just the right way for you, um, you know, so good for you to, you know, make it your own. And um, yeah, man, whatever you want to do, I'm here. I'm here to play. Yeah. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on this um, because there's other more important questions I want to get to. Uh, but talk to me about the genesis of the Restaurant Unstoppable podcast, because that is your identity is wrapped up in this show. It's uh, become a, not only a calling, but your career and all of that. And and you impact uh, so many uh, owners and operators out there. When you began, if you can even put yourself in the headspace, what did you want to do and why a podcast? Um, honestly, the 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 target audience has always been my mom and dad, right? So I grew up in the restaurant industry. I, I saw how hard my mom and dad worked. Uh, they had a very busy restaurant. There were love lines out the door uh, every weekend, and they struggled to pay the mortgage. So really the genesis of this show was, what were my parents doing wrong in the sense of, you know, we were busy, everyone loved us, but we were struggling to be profitable. So really I was just trying to fill those gaps. Like what, like, you know, like if I could go back in time and like coach my parents, like what were the things that they could have been doing better to have had that yeah. work-life balance and to have had a profitable business? Um, I, I grew up in the restaurant industry. I love the restaurant industry. Uh, I had dreams of opening my own restaurants. My, my parents talked me out of it. Uh, they said, <laughs> we work so hard so you don't have to. Go get a real job. I became a commercial pilot. I resigned from aviation when I was 27 years old. And uh, I, I was working in the industry part-time um, to supplement my income because pilots don't make a lot of money early on. And um, when I resigned from aviation, I found myself wanting to go back to the hospitality industry, but I, I had $200,000 worth of school loan debt. Yeah. So I was like, there's no way I'm paying off my debt working in the industry. But if I can't work in the industry, I want to work with the industry. I thought I'd get into sales. Sales turned into discovering podcasts, turned into launching a podcast. That's the fast forward version. What did you... What were you good at in the beginning and what were you not very good at in the beginning in terms of podcasting? Yes. <clears throat> I'm, I've always been good at just starting and I think that's half the battle. I'm not afraid to, to dive in. Um, you know, so I, I was good at just I just started and I and I and I was consistent. Um, if I I encourage people not to go back and listen to my <laughs> my early stuff. It was rough. Uh, I cringe when I listen to it. It was very like over the top. Like my whole approach was excitement. I just wanted to be excitement. I want to be motivational. And um, it was also much more rigid back then. It was more like here are a list of questions and I'm just going to ask those questions. It was shorter. Right. The show has really evolved over the time to kind of better suit who I am in my strengths and like you said i'm chaos um so um the show has gone to like i don't know it's i like long format intimate chaotic conversations where i have a general idea of somebody but really my interview is my research yeah so i'm there and i'm and i'm kind of i also do a ton of content i'm traveling so i don't have a lot of time to research so um, I don't know. I just kind of lean into my strengths, my curiosity. I'm, I'm great with people. Uh, I'm gen I'm, I'm naturally curious. I'm a good conversationalist. Uh, I have good energy. I don't know. Am I, I answering your question? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, I would agree with all of that. Um, for those of you who may not have gone to listen to the episode, it's episode 1021, which is the the episode that I had the great fortune uh, of appearing on the Restaurant Unstoppable podcast. So I imagine many of the listeners here do listen uh, somewhat regularly to your podcast. Um, I think people don't listen to just one. They try to get their education in a lot of different ways. But if you missed the episode that I was on there, um, it's worth listening to simply because I think you'll see what Eric does really well. Um you say it's chaos, and I don't think it is. I think you're really good. And, and you controlled said, chaos. <laughs> controlled <laughs> chaos. No, what you do really well is you listen really well, and you ask the next natural question. 
um, which I think is a rare uh, trait. It's something I'm trying to get better at, uh, both as a podcaster and an interviewer, uh, but also as a coach. I'm trying to be more sensitive and more compassionate and more uh, present uh, with the members of my mastermind, for example, with the clients that I work with. Um, and that's stressful to just sort of like uh, fly without a net. Um, but I think if you can get really good at that and comfortable at that, um, I think there's uh, there's freedom in that. And that's obvious in the things you got me to talk about on that show, things I have never, ever talked about before we talked about on that show. And I think anybody who get, has gotten to know me will get to learn more about sort of what makes me tick and what brought me to this point. Um, so, okay, so... So you, there is some order to the approach that I take. And really, at yeah. the end of the day, everyone has a story. And that is that is what I'm here to, to share. So, like, what is your story? So, the, the, the center line is timeline. Yeah. You know, when did you know that this was going to be your career? And how did you get to where you are today? Where are you today? And where are you going? Yep. Is, is my... That, that's my trick. That's that's what we're doing. And I think humans are also hardwired to learn through storytelling. So yeah. it's the easiest way for information to be transferred is just share your but story. You're not giving uh, yourself credit there because I will say if you were just doing a linear podcast, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. OK, fine. But what you have the ability to do is to figure out, OK, you did this to this. How did that happen? Why did you decide to do that? How did that affect other things? What impact did that have? Can you see the the echoes of that in what you're doing now? That you do really well, not Thank just you. with me, but as I go and listen to interview after interview of what you do, you do that really well. And I don't know how well, you the do true, it. Well, the truth, it's as simple as like the five whys, you know? Um, yeah. the, the first answer is never the full answer. There's always usually layers to it. And like you just keep asking why, why, why? And um, if you can drill down, I mean, I, you, know, you do it enough times, you start to recognize good advice. When you hear the, the, the surface level good advice, you, you just you hone over it and you drill down. That's kind of my simple approach. I love it. So I love that you talked about your parents and you podcast it to be able to help your parents. What have you learned over the course of your now decade plus of doing this that you think could help or could have helped your parents? What yeah. what, if anything, has become obvious where you're like, oh, I see that they didn't do this or this, or they right. weren't doing this right. Surely you've come to some sort of um, resolution there, in your, at least in your mind. Yeah, well, my parents have been out of the game for almost 25 years, just for yep. the record. So um, they are not literally the ones who I'm trying to help, but they are the avatar of the people that I'm trying I to totally help. I totally get that. Um, and really what I learned is, you know, uh, they, they were slaves through business. They never built the, I think the first, there has been multiple aha moments over time, but the first major one was they, they had a people dependent operation, not a system dependent operation. If they weren't there, the system didn't like the, the restaurant didn't run. Um, so they never took the time to replace themselves with systems, processes, procedures. And as a result, they burnt out. They were a slave to their business. I mean, that was a big aha moment. This, I mean, I think what they did really well is they had great culture. People loved them. They had fun. They worked hard uh, and they treated people amazingly, their employees and their guests. Um, yep. They could have they could have been a little bit more uh, intentional with like menu engineering and really reverse engineering and, and knowing exactly where all the money was going. They didn't yep. really budget. They didn't really uh, do any like menu cards or menu engineering. So I think they were just kind of guessing. You know, yep. uh, they had no restaurant experience. Uh, so they said, well, down the street, they're charging this uh, down the street. They have a better location. So we need to charge less to pull people in. Yeah, and I think that is I, a lot of people get in trouble there. I think really at the end of the day, you need to know exactly what it costs to run your restaurant and then ask yourself, what profit do I want to make? And then reverse engineer it um, and, and bake that profit in and, and do it shamelessly because you need you need money to take care of yourself to take care of other people. That's right. Um, and you need you need to be able to take care of your people too. Like you need you need to factor all this stuff in and 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 don't have any guilt because if you're gonna attract onto yourself the best people, you need the resources to do it. So, to all the listeners, I swear, I didn't ask Eric to say all that, but Eric, <laughs> you have to understand that that's like my mantra. That's my mission. Yeah. I believe everything I do, we have to work in reverse order. We start with the end in mind. We say, where do I want to go? What do I have to do to get there? And profit 
is uh, is a is a goal, is a target. And um, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's funny you said they've been out of the game for 25 years, um, and still hundreds, thousands, and thousands of restaurants that are still in operation today uh, still exist the exact same way, where it's week to week, paycheck to paycheck, and they've created a job for themselves. Here's something I want to get to, and tell me if I'm uh, if I'm onto something here. I feel like there's this really great business advice that they tell, uh, like, quote unquote, real entrepreneurs, real, real business minds. They say, and this is something we learned in, in business school, said, before you start the company, you have to have an exit strategy for the company, right? Meaning, how do you get out? And on the surface, that seems callous. That seems self-serving, right? Like, I want to build this business, grow it to this much, and then sell it. Or I want it to, right? And it seems like, oh, man, that's so gross. And yet, I think it's some of the best advice ever that if we just thought of what are the stages of the life of this company and at what point will I be done or what does quote unquote done look like, that I find that a lot of people who open a restaurant gave themselves a job and maybe a better job than they had working for somebody else, but they gave themselves a job. And while that might be good for a year or two or five or even 10, when you get to a certain point, you say, man, I just want to be a business owner. I don't want to be the chef or the GM or the, I don't want to be doing this. I feel like that's one of the biggest problems that we have is that we don't build a business that can sustain itself and sustain us as an owner. Do, do you feel that? Am I, am I, is that just my observation or what, what would you, what would your response to that be? I mean, yeah, I have nothing to add. Uh, and I 100% agree. Um, you need to, Think of your your exit strategy. You don't necessarily need to exit, but you need to have a plan. Um, and there's actually a really great book out there uh, by Bo Burlingham, who's also the author of Small Giants. Uh, he wrote Finish Big, and it's all about how to build, like how to have an exit plan. And now, really, I think the biggest thing to think there is like you know people don't buy business; they, they buy systems and processes. They buy machines. Yep. So like really, all you have to do is just like if if for whatever reason, if I get sick tomorrow, if I can't. If I can't be in the business, I need to be able to hand this thing off. I need a backup plan. It's it's really what it is. It's a backup plan, not necessarily the goal to sell it. But there's nothing wrong. I mean, honestly, I don't think there's anything wrong with building a business with the goal of selling it. A lot of people, that's that's what they do. They're great at building businesses um, and getting it to a point. And that's, that's what they love is building it. But then they don't, but they get like sick of it. They get tired of it and they want to do the next thing. So yeah, I don't think there's any shame in being a business builder. Uh, if you're good at building businesses and building systems around those things then absolutely but really at the end of the day i think it's just a matter of like is this dependent on me and any yes. variables of this business that's dependent on me i need to recreate i need to create a system around that um because at the end of the day you want system dependent operations not people dependent operations and that's not to say you don't want amazing people but you uh, want to put amazing people into the system agreed agreed it's so funny what yeah. I, uh, something i say all the time is that uh, your business shouldn't be um, reliant on any one person, whether that's the busboy, the chef, the bartender, or the owner. I feel like it's irresponsible and dangerous because if someone doesn't show up, let's say the owner, the owner doesn't show up and then we can't open, there are dozens or hundreds of people who don't get fed that day. There mm -hmm. are dozens or hundreds of people who don't get paid that day. And then not to mention your family, you know, the owner's family who relies on the revenue and the profit that's generated from the business, it suddenly then it affects their livelihood just because one person got sick or got hit by a car right. or, or something, right? Like, I just find it's, I, I, I always say it's irresponsible and dangerous. And there are a lot of businesses that run that way. When I talk to people in my mastermind, I say, my goal for you by the end of this is to be an absentee owner so that if you want to be there, then that's great, then you're there. But I want you to be where you wanna be, that the, the the system, the restaurant can run without you. And then you get to decide right. where you wanna be. And if you wanna be at your restaurant, then you also get to determine where and how you flow and function within your restaurant, right? Because right. maybe you working on the line, you know, we're doing, you know, comps and, and voids and maybe that's not the best use of your time. Maybe you being at the front door just shaking everybody's hands. Maybe you touching tables, sitting down to have a glass of wine. Maybe that's the best way to build right. a connection and good nature and, 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 you know, get those good feelings going. So people say, man, I love it here. I don't know why, but I love it here. The more we somebody can do that. should. Yeah, somebody should you, either you or somebody should want to be at the restaurant. You would hope. 
right? Like that, like you should have some level of passion for the work you're doing. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be the owner. Um, I mean, the owner could be somebody who's creating opportunity for somebody else or, you know, like somebody should want to be there. Let's, let's make that clear. Cause you don't want a bunch of people who are just kind of going through the motions, but you should have the option to not be there. You know, you shouldn't, you should, you should give yourself the option that if there's a wedding or a funeral or a ball game, that's right. Like you should have the option to be able to leave, but I think you or somebody should want to be at the restaurant. Yep. It's like no Applebee's is reliant on any one person. Like you said, that's sort of the chains are an easy one to point to because they are nothing if not a big bundle of systems. Um, and they're filled with, you know, great people execute, you know, on that, no matter where you look. Uh, but one thing that they do really well, and the reason they're able to grow and be profitable over and over, um, whether they're good restaurants or bad restaurants, however we feel about them, um, they are really good at systematizing what they do, how they how they do it. So as independents, we can just take a page from that and say, hey, let's adopt some of that and then do all the stuff that we do so well, all the things we do better as independents than we do uh, at the chain level and, and we'll be unstoppable. I mean, not to yes. not to be punny there. I mean, but like that's how you become unstoppable. Yeah. My, I mean, my mission statement is to change the world through inspiring, empowering and, and transforming the restaurant industry. So so uh, and yeah, let's drill down on that. Then I, 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 don't, I don't want you to go any further than that right now. How do okay. you how do we as an industry do that or how are you doing that? personally and talk to me about how it transforms at a larger level i think um okay like using my parents as an example i think that there's a and this is more so going back in like the late 80s and 90s there was a gap there was a knowledge gap i think between uh the the bigger organizations that have the 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 money to hire the consultants and uh, i think that knowledge gap is definitely shrinking because of the tools and resources that are available today anybody can get access to information today there's uh, so really what I'm trying to do, I guess, the 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 way that we're transforming the industry is by p- providing a path of least resistance to close the knowledge gap. So um, I'm trying to, like you said earlier, we all stand on the shoulders of giants. I'm trying to find the giants across the country, the, the leaders across the country in different communities. And I'm saying, here's a platform to share, to, to stand and share your story. Uh, and it's not just how do you run your restaurant, but the I think we're trying to close the knowledge gap, but we're also trying to give uh, an example for restaurant owners of what kind of person you need to be behind every great restaurant's a great person. And I, I think, I mean, first and foremost, I'm trying to make an example of good people and their values. Uh, and I think that's how you transform a culture and cultural transformation is exponential. So I think really, if I'm, if I'm going to change the industry, it's not so much about teaching people how to do it, but really getting behind the why and also offering a lot of different perspectives. There is no one way, right? So really what I'm trying to do is I'm going to different people and I'm just trying to listen and learn and get their perspective. And you, if you're the listener, if you're listening to the show, Restaurant Unstoppable, I want you to listen to every episode because your way isn't going to be the same way as as one person on the Mm -hmm. show. Your way is probably going to be a mix of a bunch of different ways in a like you got to you got to figure out what's right for you based off of your values, based off of your strengths, based off of your weaknesses, based off of your geographic. You you have to offer. So I guess to, to finally answer your question, um, I'm trying to teach the how I'm trying to close the knowledge gap, but I'm also more importantly, I'm trying to to give the restaurant owner a picture of the job done right. Um, we need aiming points. The restaurant owner's job is to give their team a picture of perfection of what the job done right looks like. Where does the owner go to get that picture of what the job done right looks like? So that's really what I'm trying to do is just to offer up a perspective, offer up a story, and to really uh, transform people. If we're going to transform an industry, it starts with with transforming the people in the industry. And that's what I'm trying to do. I love that. I think that's actually a really succinct way of putting it. And I think that's obvious in every single uh, interview you do. Um, and again, I love sort of the broad meandering uh, approach that you take. Uh, and I've t- taken a very deliberate path of doing something different 
when I do interviews on this show, uh, I try to be more laser focused. This conversation is probably a departure from that simply because of what I wanted to, what I wanted to talk about and what I wanted this to be. Um, but let's drill down and get a little laser focused. Talk to me, right? There's a, there's a, uh, there's a watermark in our industry, right? It was 2020, this pandemic. And everyone likes to believe that things were perfect and rosy, and I wish we could go back to the way things were. And in some cases, yes, revenues were higher, things were more predictable, all that. The world shifted, the world changed, how people make their money, where they have to be to make their money, um, their their work habits changed, so their other behaviors changed, their buying habits, um, their dining out habits and all that. Talk to me about the biggest shifts that you've seen happen since the pandemic through the conversations you've had and talk to me about the silver lining. What are the good things that came out of the pandemic that maybe people just haven't opened their eyes to see? I mean, I think the best thing that came out of the pandemic is it forced people to slow down and reflect um, and say like, really like, what are we doing? You know, why are we doing it like this? Like, can we find a better balance? And I think um, when we came back, uh, we came back with better balance. You're seeing that not all these restaurants were a lot of the restaurants that cut back on their hours, never accelerated back into the same hours they had before. And um, really just understanding like, Hey, like this is like, these are when I'm, these hours are when I'm making my money. So like, let's put all of our time and energy into what we do best when we do best and um, just, you know, get much more intentional with our time. And, and um, I think that is a great byproduct of what happened with the pandemic is just an, intentionally slowing down also there was a mass exodus of the industry and i think that in the moment while that sucked so bad for restaurant owners to not be able to find employees it forced necessary change uh where you know we want to be treated like every other industry but we're not like every other industry let's, let's be honest we we didn't take care of our people the way we needed to and yeah. it was because we didn't have the resources to take care of our people i think Prices in the restaurant industry have skyrocketed, and I'm so happy for it. Like we we undervalued ourselves. I agree. You know, like I, so I think like, I think it's going to get more expensive because I think it's going to get and harder that's great. to attract talent. I, I agree with you. I think it's going to get more expensive. I think over the next ten years, we're going to lose. I'm going to say something like forty percent. Literally, I think we're going to lose forty percent of the restaurants because they're just not going to be able to convince people to come out. Why would I come out and go there? when it's so expensive. They're not gonna be able to answer that question for the consumer. And so the consumer is then gonna to go to places that can answer that question. Man, it's so much more expensive, but it's so worth it because of the following right. reasons. And I think it's gonna be a natural culling um, over the next yeah. 10 years. I mean, over the last 30 years, right? And we can draw a straight line from the Food Network launches in uh, April of 1993. We're now 30 years into the Food Network. And look at how food culture has exploded in this country. You, you can you can follow a direct line. I mean, there was never a there was never a daytime TV show dedicated to cooking. But then we had Rachel Ray. Then we had The Chew. Then we had, you know, all of this stuff. Um, all of that is a mirror of food culture. I think it's going to get more and more expensive, and I think it's going to get harder as we go along when you look at states like California and you look at what the minimum wage is there and getting rid of the tip credit and all that. I mean, I think that's that's all coming for many or all of the states across the country. So it's going to get more well, expensive. Yeah, so I, I full-heartedly believe if we transform the restaurant industry doing by doing all the things we're discussing right now, we will transform the world because the restaurant industry has massive influence. And... Um, I mean, that's part of what I'm trying to do is to encourage people to to make the necessary changes. Look, the restaurant industry for most for a lot of people is the first job they ever get. If we raise the bar on how well we take care of our employees, if the first impression of the average worker is the restaurant industry and we crush it, that their expectations are going to be high going forward. I think the other thing, too, is we our values as a society have have meandered over time and. I think there's a book out there and I'm not going to don't quote me on the exact numbers, but the book is a, the, 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 the town food saved. And it's based off of, uh, I think like Waterbury, Vermont or something like that. And it's a, it's a decentralized food system. Um, and it just, this, this, this approach to food and like wholesome food, food done well, like really kind of turned this little small town around, but they made a point in that book that if you go back a hundred years and this is where I'm not sure about the numbers exactly. Um, 
the average household spent close to like 20% of their income on food, like 100 plus years ago. Yeah. Now the average household spends about 9% or 8% of their income on food. And I think there's just, there's been this shift on values and we don't, we, we, we looked at food as a commodity and I don't think food is a commodity. I think food is literally life. You know, food is like it, it, we eat things that we're living and it keeps us alive and it literally, and it's all connected. And we, we, I think the restaurant industry is going to influence the consumer and, um, I mean, I could keep on going on this. But well, here's my that, addendum to that, Eric. And it's funny because I just gave a keynote down in New Zealand about this whole thing. And it was the title of the keynote was uh, Adopting the Luxury Mindset. And I basically said there is food that is a commodity, right? And then there's food that's a luxury. And I, I, when you look at the, the definition of luxury, it literally means like an indulgence. Going out to a restaurant is a luxury. We do not need to do it to have someone come up with the recipes, go shop for everything, prep everything, cook everything, bring it to us, get us anything else we need over the course of our time there, then clear it away, do the dishes, and, and we literally clean up after us. It's we have, we have servants that are taking care of every little aspect of it. We do not need to do that. And it costs three, four, five, 10X for a meal for a, a family of four, then if we just went to the supermarket, right? In in the talk, I said we can get you know chicken, rice, and beans, feed a family of four for give or take about ten or fifteen dollars. That's true pretty much anywhere in this country. It's not a particularly inspired meal, I think we would agree. But if we just needed sustenance, which food is sustenance, we need food to survive. We could certainly do that and sustain ourselves for relatively little. The question then becomes. Why do we go out to a restaurant? We go out to a restaurant to be entertained. We go out for diversity of flavors. We go out to connect. We go out for, you name, to celebrate, to mark an occasion. It can we be decide. as simple as, as convenience, too. You and know, that's another thing. Again, right. we, and we are willing to pay for these things. But let's be clear. We are paying for convenience. We are paying to be pampered. We are paying to be entertained. We are paying for variety. We're paying for the things. We're paying for people to do things that we couldn't do or to do things better than we could do them ourselves. So in that respect, there is some food that's a commodity, just a base good. Eggs are a commodity. I can put 10 eggs in front of you, can fry them up. You wouldn't be able to tell which one is which. One is which. And they could be 10 cents more, 15 cents more, 50 cents more for a dozen. That's a commodity, all things being equal, right? And this is what the definition of commodity says. All things being equal, consumer will make their decision based on convenience, familiarity, or price, meaning you go with the one you know, you go with the one that's closest, you go with the one that's cheapest. That's how we buy flour or milk or buy gasoline. We just go to the one that's closest, cheapest, or the one we know. Restaurants are not that. And I think we we run the risk of failure, or I think restaurants struggle when they're playing the commodity game, right? A sushi restaurant is a sushi restaurant is a sushi restaurant. I can get spicy tuna roll. I can get a rainbow roll. I can get a dragon roll. I can get uh, I can get salmon sashimi. It's it is all the same for many many sushi restaurants, Chinese restaurants. I can get egg fuyan, chop suey. I can get General Tso's chicken. There's so many that are just the same that they're playing that commodity game, which then is a race to the bottom. And I want this industry to acknowledge that what we're selling is a luxury is an indulgence. We're saying, let us take care of you. We've got it all worked out. And that costs extra. And it's going to cost more and more and more than ever before, which puts the uh, the weight on us to be even better about articulating uh, what we do and, again, why we do it and why they should participate. Does right. that make sense? I, absolutely. And, yes, technically, food is a commodity. Like, you're right. Uh, but I, th I think that I th we treat it as a tr like a it's become transactional, you know, sure. and I think that um, at the end of the day, food is it's all connected. And, and I think it's not just yes, we are providing a service. We are providing a luxury there. There's more than just the food, the sustenance that people are getting when they go out to eat. But I do think that there is almost a social responsibility from restaurants to say, hey, um, where you choose to put your money as like a consumer affects everything. And. I think we should educate people say you should put your money into local businesses. You should put your money into a, 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 f a food system that's not broken. Like 
if you're going to put your money anywhere, put it towards putting it back into the foods, a, a, a healthier food system, uh, you know, and, and that's not cheap, but that's a values based thing where it's like, how many subscription services do you have? What kind of car are you driving? How big is your house? What the fuck truly really matters? Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think that that's our responsibility to inject, like to, 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 to lift people up, to give them better values, to to empower. Like if you if you own a restaurant, you have a social and moral obligation to your people yep. to lift them up and to make them better, not just give them skills and you know to to be a a contributor of society, but to also teach them and educate them on how they influence the future. You know, like we should all be trying to make people better. The busiest time of year is coming. Is your staff ready for the holiday rush? This year, give your team the gift of Pop Menu AI Answering, a simple solution for phones ringing off the hook. AI Answering handles calls 24-7, 365 days a year, so your staff can focus on in-person guests. Customize your greetings and responses, answer common questions, promote specials and events, and send follow-up links to ordering and reservations. AI Answering handles it all while escalating more complex conversations back to your team. Never miss another tasty revenue opportunity. PopMenu, the marketing technology platform designed to make growing your restaurant easy. Discover more AI restaurant tools that turn your to-do list into an already done list by requesting a demo today. For a limited time, get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy. And yes, that link is in the show notes. So this is now an in, uh, this is now a bigger conversation than us right. here. And this, this is, is a the real transformation. This yeah, is I mean, this is an interesting conversation because now we start talking about the American food system, right? Americans love cheap stuff, right? The reason we can buy jeans for 50 bucks, right? There's a reason 100 years ago, people had one jacket, people had one pair of jeans, people had one, right? Jeans were the equivalent of 100 or $150. They were handmade, they were hard to make, they were sturdy, they were durable, they held up. We didn't, now we all have three, four, five pairs of jeans minimum, right? And they're cheap, relatively speaking. Right. Um, most people can go to you fill in the blank, Target, Macy's, Walmart, somewhere cheap and get cheap clothes. We like cheap clothes. Right. When we talk about the food system. Let's talk about what's our uh, what's our number one uh, biggest export in food here in the United States. Uh, corn. It's seafood. Seafood. Do you know what our biggest import is? Seafood. Uh, yeah, actually, I didn't know that. Our biggest export yeah. is seafood. Our biggest import is seafood. It's because Americans love seafood, but we like cheap seafood. We love farm-raised tilapia and salmon and all that. So all the wild stuff we get goes somewhere else. I mean, there's tons. We have tons of coastline. Uh, you know, basically three sides of our country between the Atlantic, the Pacific, and the Gulf. There's so much great stuff. There's so much, but we're just, for the most part, we're not willing to pay for it. When you go to the supermarket and you see $7.99, for farm-raised salmon, and you see twenty-eight ninety-nine for the wild line-caught salmon, you think twice, and you go, ah, never mind, seven ninety-nine. And I get it; it's stuff is getting more and more expensive. But now you bring up this thing of like what we eat matters, who we support, how that works its way down the line, rather than some working for some, you know, or supporting some giant, you know, aquaculture, you know, fishery. Um, that it's farm raising salmon. We're actually supporting fishermen who are going out and catching the stuff. And it's better. It's better for us, better for the ecosystem, better for the entire supply chain line. But that's why we get into this this conversation is that like there's stuff that's cheap and we like stuff that's cheap. I'm included. You're included. We're we're obviously on a budget, both of us. We're, we're not independently wealthy. So we think about things and we make choices uh, one way or another when we're at the supermarket, for example. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the, the the people that we're affecting when we choose to make purchasing decisions that if we're just looking at the price is ultimately our, our ourselves. You know, when we're putting that food into our body. We're we're not there's there's other stuff that we're putting into our body. You know, like, and I think that's the one thing. Once once the consumer realizes that, hey, like, there's something in it for me beyond. Um, knowing that I'm supporting a, a, a better food system, like 
I'm going to be healthier, you know, like, and I think people are inherently selfish. Like it's a part of human nature. We are like, it's an inconvenient truth and they really don't ever start to do anything until they know there's something in it for them. And I think that if, when you bring into that, that into the conversation, like, listen, like to, to do food the way we've been doing it, there's, there's a lot of inconvenient truths. You're putting bad things into your body. I, I don't need to make this into a conversation about uh, the broken food system and all that. But I think one, well, we're starting to realize that when you eat organic, naturally grown food that's fresh, like it's it's better for you. And then you know, like I, like I think that's the one thing that's actually going to get people to to start making better purchasing decisions. Is it's I don't know. I totally I feel I, like we're beating and, to death. I mean, restaurants <laughs> have been at the forefront of this. I want to get back to this pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. What's going on in a post-pandemic world? So, you know, I asked you what was one of the biggest, what's the silver lining? What's the biggest benefits that's happened from there? You said it was that it forced people to slow down, think more deliberately about what they're doing, why they're doing it. That shifted our hours of operation, which is better for work-life balance, better for supporting our employees and all of that. I totally agree. What other shifts have you seen uh, in talking with I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of operators and owners over the last little while, what else has come out of this that you think is good for the industry? Um, I think the 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 uh, barrier to entry has gotten a lot lower. I think uh, before the pandemic, uh, people had it in their mind that if I'm going to open a restaurant, it starts with a brick and mortar, um, where now I think people are sharing their stories. And really, your restaurant can start with conception you know like build out a start start with the brand hey guess what your restaurant's born and maybe um you don't own a restaurant but you can do collaborations you can go to other people who own restaurants and do pop-ups and um you can start collecting emails and like your your business can start really small today and i think you can start creating uh brand awareness and developing uh, growing your list before a year years before you ever open your brick and mortar and um i think that's a good thing i think there's tools uh there's more there's more steps in the in the the in the stairway to to scaling your business where now you can like you know you can go to a ghost kitchen you can start with a virtual brand um you can use that to create brand awareness and to get your food into malls and then you can go to a pot like there's just there's so many different things you can do on this journey along the way that i think are good which has lowered the bar the, the barrier of entry um I think people are also looking at different business models too. Um, yeah, I love where that. there's a lot of uh, continue or um, continuity models where like membership where people where they're like where it's it's more uh, a little bit more calculated where like hey like I have 30 members who are doing my meal plan like I know exactly how much food to buy I know exactly how much money I'm gonna make and we're getting away from this broken business model the 1905 business model. Um, that we just been co- like rinsing and repeating and and copying. Like people are like really kind of challenging the status quo and saying, well, how like why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? You know. Um, and I think that's good too. Um, where we're looking in for ins- we're looking at other in- industries for inspiration and we're kind of copying and, and adopting those business models and and injecting them into our own business, yeah. our own industry. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I would add to all of this. I think we've discovered multiple revenue streams and I think restaurant owners now are hip to the fact that they have an asset, right? The restaurant, um, the brand is uh, an asset and there are multiple ways to generate revenue out of that asset. They can make money on in-person dining. They can do takeout and delivery. They can do off-site catering. They can do private dining. They could do cooking classes. They could do merchandising. They can do like on and on and on. There are a bunch of different ways to, uh, in the best possible way, exploit the entity, right? Exploit that property and make money based on, you know, from the the assets you have there. Your right. people, your, your recipes, your, you know, all of that. And I think um, that's another thing. It's sort of in keeping with what you're saying that that I would add to all of this. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I think the most powerful thing is having some type of membership model, having some type of recurring revenue, and I think that your goal should be to get people to like commit to the that whatever that is, you know, because whether yeah. they take whether they take the offer or not, you're still getting paid. You know, Do you um, know, I sat down with uh, I had on <laughs> this uh, on the show uh, I don't know, a few weeks back a guy named Jerome Goldman. 
who's the uh, CEO of Ribbon Steak out in sort of Montana, Wyoming, Utah. And one of the things uh, he said, he challenged his team uh, to get away from the loyalty program because he said everybody has the same loyalty program, give or take. And what he said, come up with something better, something new, something that actually does what we need it to do. And his team came back and came up with what they called a royalty program. And basically, it's, uh, it's a gift card program that to be part of the royalty program, and there's only 200, I think, there are only 200 members, right? They cap it for each location. And basically, you get a certain amount of benefits. Um, you get bumped to the top of the wait list. You get preferred seating. You get, you know, all these things. And one of the main things, you spend 50 bucks a month. That's to be a, a royalty member. But you pay it forward. You're basically prepaying for a $50 gift card because you get a $50 gift card every month. And he said that's actually helping because people are paying. They're prepaying for their meal. And if they don't use it in the month, it's lost. But most people he finds, they get very little um, uh, very little loss there. He said you know, 95% of the people will use that $50. And so it does what it's meant to do, which is to, um, which is to uh, entice you know, repeat visits. And so 200 tables once a month will come in because they know they've prepaid for a $50 gift card. And he said, it's, we all know the numbers behind a gift card and usage and how profitable it can be for a restaurant. And he's like, and so here we're trying to make a better loyalty program. We're trying to, uh, to get more repeat business and more frequency of uh, visits. And we're basically building out a more robust um, gift card program. Hearing him describe it and talk about it was like, I mean, like huge light bulbs went You can get so off. creative. Yeah. You can get so creative. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm thinking about like barbecue right now. Like not all cuts are created equal, right? So what if you had like, hey, like here's like the entry level. Like if you want to come as a, like a your average consumer, you can come in. But what if there was another tier where we reserve all the best cuts? For like this group of people and sure. we charge them in advance for it like the burn ends and stuff like that right yep. like i'm just like spitballing right now like there's so many different 100%. things you can do you pointed out different places to sit in the restaurant um maybe it's uh i don't know maybe you, you order certain products that are a tier higher elevated and it's reserved for this different like the, so create like a tiered system now you know? what we're and, talking about is now we get into supply and demand and right. so there is demand for certain cuts. There's demand for certain nights of the week or certain times of the evening. There's demand and limited supply because it's only 7 o'clock seven times a week. It's only 7 o'clock on Saturday once a week. Right. And that we should, You're talking like what, what Alinea does with uh, their... Their dynamic pricing, with, um, right? Yeah, talk. Right. So they do, you know, you go on a Wednesday, it's one price. You go on a Saturday, it's like 50% higher. Dynamic pricing, I'm, I'm fully convinced, and it's one of the things I talked to Yaron Goldman about. Um, dynamic pricing is coming for the restaurant industry. It will be here in a very real way. With just, It's already with, here. Yeah, I mean, it's here. <laughs> it will be here in yeah. a very real way to the point. Which it should be. Which it should be, 100%, because of yeah. we have, uh, there's demand at certain times of the day, certain days of the week, um, and there's limited supply that we should be able to monetize that, and we should use it for our benefit on the backside. Alinea does this really well. I'm sure they made Wednesdays lower because... They had capacity, you know, open, you know, unmet capacity on Wednesdays. And they said, man, everybody wants to come Saturday, but not nearly as many people want to come Wednesday. Could we convince them to come on a Wednesday? What if we charged more for Saturday and less on Wednesday? And some people go, hey, babe, let's go out for, uh, you know, anniversary. But, you know, what? if we go on Wednesday, we can actually afford to get a better bottle of wine or we can afford, you know, or we can actually afford to go to Alinea you know, rather than another restaurant, if we go on a right. Wednesday, I think it's I think it's brilliant. But to your point, there are things that people are willing to pay for. Right. This is we see Disney doing it right with the fast right. pass, with the genie like you you pay to be able to sign up for specific times rather than waiting in line. And people are willing to pay extra for certain for certain things. So we should be able to monetize the demand and monetize Give the them the supply. option. Give them the option. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And your point of uh, your point of uh, uh, barbecue is really well made because most like old school barbecue, you know, Texas barbecue places, it's like the line starts forming first thing in the morning and you wait in line. And when it's gone, it's gone. But what if you could pre-reserve, pre-order? What if you could jump the line? What if you could just, hey, for a select number of loyalty members or royalty members, however you want to do it, 
they get to pre-order. They get the app. Nobody else gets a- access to online ordering, but you, everyone else has to stand in line, but you can pre-order and just go pick right. up your stuff at the window. How cool there's is that? Actually, a, there's a service called Line Leap that does this. So like, um, that's a perfect example of a, an area where, there's, where you can add value. And guess what? Whenever you're adding value, you should be compensated for it. Uh, so Line Leap is an app that's out there where basically if you're it's it's meant for larger venues where there's usually like a, a show or a line that forms every day, like a club or something like that. Um, if you if you're coming into town and you got some VIPs and you're willing to charge an extra or pay, pay an extra hundred dollars to like get let in and skip the line, th- then why not offer that option for people who are willing to pay it? Like that that's a huge imagine for every say you have a venue that holds 500 people like a massive venue right and 100 of those people are willing to spend a hundred dollars to skip the line yeah yeah what's a hundred times a hundred ten thousand dollars a hundred percent yeah like that's easy money i you, like, i you, totally agree i totally agree like, i think we can get better at doing this i think your point is really well made i just and the and the point i'll make about this and i think the reason we resist it it's going to say, well, we're in the hospitality industry. We're here to take care of people. I don't want to gouge people. I don't want to take advantage of them. And I think what we have to see is that there's alignment here and that the things that we need to keep our business successful, monetizing things like this, are also the things that people would happily pay for because they want the convenience. They want the lack of stress. They want the ability to jump to the top of the line and impress their clients, that, that there is alignment here and we're just serving our audience more fully. Right. And the cool thing is that there's there's tools and services and technologies that exist where we don't have to build everything from scratch. We don't have to build a system, a technology to be able to get in and purchase the option to skip a line or it's no longer just walking up to the bouncer and handing them a hundred dollars because now they're pocketing that that should go to the house. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like. So there's there's systems that are being built. There's technologies where we can instead of building it from scratch, we can literally just plug it in yep. like a WordPress site. Like, oh, here's a plugin. Yep. I, Why build it from scratch? I, I think totally that's the agree. other really cool thing that's happening right now too is that um, as the world becomes digitized, we can now outsource a lot of the biggest challenges that are associated with running a restaurant, like building systems. Like, not everybody is good at building systems. You don't have to build systems from scratch anymore. Technology has become so good and so abundant that you can literally go plug it in. Like I'm thinking of like Restaurant Systems Pro right now, one of my sponsors, like they're about to have A through Z, everything that you could imagine to like run the back of house of a restaurant. And you can go build all that shit from scratch and do a bunch of research or make a $3.99 a month purchase that you can budget into your pro forma and have everything that's ever you're, you're going to need built and it's a it's a yep. checklist built for you to be successful like when before was that an option yeah yeah a hundred percent i think um that's the next thing that i hope really um solidifies with the restaurants as we stop um stop resisting the systemata- uh, the systemization we stop resisting the technology and some of the solutions that are out there to begin that, for, for me, it always does start um, internally in being able to uh, identify the problems. Like, hey, where are our bottlenecks? Where are we uh, lacking? Where can we do better? Where are opportunities? And then once you say, okay, great, you create your list of five, six, eight things, then you go out and shop around for uh, the right solution. You start asking for the solutions. But it begins, um, I say this, I give this advice when people go to trade shows. I'm like, come up with a list of problems you want to solve Otherwise, you're going to get sold to by every vendor in that place. And so when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I want to talk to you about blah, 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 you can say, hey, listen, can you help me with any of these three problems? And they're going to say, "Uh, no, not really. So great. Thank you. All the best to you. But I'm focused on solving these three problems. If you're not intentional with your time, somebody else will be. 100%. 100%. Eric, I've loved this conversation. This is the first. It will certainly not be the last. Um, We're coming to the end of our time together, but I always ask um, my guests five questions in a row, um, and I want to make sure to leave time for those questions. Are you down? Yeah, let's do it. Great. First question, what's the last great meal you've had? Oh, man. My grandmother's lumpy mashed potatoes. (laughs) Just a whole plate of mashed potatoes? I mean, it's just the mashed potatoes aren't supposed to be lumpy, you know, but I love my grandmother's mashed potatoes. I love it. And um, it's because they were from her. They were yeah. her mashed potatoes. I love yeah. it. I love it. Uh, second question. What's the last great hospitality touch you had? 
the last great hospitality touch I had. Um, so I was working on a golf uh, at a, uh, a country club on a golf course uh, before I started the podcast. So I was managing like a little uh, like a snack hut. It was like an internship. And um, I would take notes and I would memorize or I would have like a basically a CRM of all the members, a little notebook. And I knew everything. And I would look at, you know, you would know when they were coming around. You would know where their tea time was. So you could see like, oh, so-and-so is going to be here in about 30 minutes. Um, so there was a tee off. And they ended up doing only the back nine, so they, they didn't come by my my little hut. So I I packaged everything that I knew that they would have gotten if they did stop by my hut, and I and I found them on the back nine, and I delivered their food. Love that, love that. Yeah. It's such a it's such a great thing. A little thing, yeah. It's, yeah we just go above and beyond. All right, number three. Uh, if a genie came down and can grant you one wish, as it relates to our industry, uh, what would it be? I want to know what what's the one thing you'd wish for. Um. I wish that the genie would help. Oh man, this is a loaded question. Um, I wish that the industry would be treated like every other industry. And I, I wish that um, we, we had the resources necessary to be, uh, I don't know, as good as every other industry. And we do, you know, you know what it is, right? It's just, we're just afraid to pass it along to the consumer. Right. That's why uh, I, we're givers. We're we're generous. We're warm. Yeah, I mean that's that's, the, that's, that's why it's do. backwards, right? We we've got tipping. Right. Tipping tipping is backwards. The fact that we say well, we're not going to pay our people, but all you guys sitting in the dining room, you, you can pay our people. That's insane to me. Um, right. I I benefited from that for many years, uh, being on that side. But um, it's going to take a cultural shift, and it's yeah. our job to make that shift happen. Yeah, I agree. At the end of the day, people have to eat, and we can influence humor. Uh, consumer behavior we have to influence consumer behavior all right number four what would you tell someone who's about to open their very first restaurant oh man um it's it's this industry's 90 percent mindset um and i think behind every great restaurant's a great person the journey to success in this industry starts with you starts with understanding the power of habit starts with understanding um, that you are not your emotions and that anything that you want to do, you can do if you just put your mind to it and show up and, um, really it's, it's as simple as there ain't nothing to it, but to do it. Uh, but it's going to be very hard. Um, yeah. so make sure you really want to do it. Yeah. I love it. Great. All right. Last question. Uh, I want you to talk to me about the future of restaurants. I want you to look five years down the line and tell me something that you think is coming that other people may not see coming. Five years down the line, what's coming? I think that the industry is going to continue to diversify and fragment. Um, And I think there's going to be more and more unique types of opportunity in the the industry that I'm really excited for. Um, Man, a futurist. (laughs) You know, I hope that... um, I hope the changes are intentional. I think I, 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 my, it's my hope that we become less reactive to the, to the consumer and that the consumer becomes more reactive to the restaurant industry. And I think that there's going to be a shift where, um, we have to, uh, start influencing the consumer in um, uh, lifting up the communities around us. And I, I do think the restaurant industry is going to change the world. Yeah. Um, I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, Eric, Uh, I appreciate uh, you taking the time to sit and chat with me. Like I said, uh, first time we're doing this uh, on this show, I certainly will not be the last. I look forward to having you back. Any, um, any last words of wisdom uh, you want to share with the audience before I catch you out of here? Um, If you open a restaurant, it is your moral obligation to lift up the people around you. Um, You, you have the, the power to change lives into to pay it forward. And, uh, I think, I don't know, I'm super hopeful for the future. I think we're learning so much about human behavior, the human element, and the, the restaurant industry is at the leading edge of connectivity in the human element. And, um, I think, I don't know, I think we're in, we're sitting in a really fun, exciting place. And, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm ready to to go on this wild ride. It's uh, gonna be good. I love it. Uh, listen, you're you're uh you're you've been on the ride and you will continue to be on the ride. 
Um, Eric, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, to everybody listening, we will include the links in the show notes to go check out Restaurant Unstoppable. I will specifically add the link uh, for my episode where I was there just because uh, I think you guys will get a kick out of that. But uh, listen, he's got, I don't know, over a thousand episodes. Uh, you can go all the way through the back catalog. Um, he's really sat down with uh, some big, big heavy hitters. Uh, it's worth uh, it's worth taking the time and doing the deep dive. Eric, I appreciate you taking the time. Be well. Thank you, Chip. And keep up the amazing work, man. You're doing awesome. Thank you. So once again, I got to thank Eric for taking time out of his day to sit and chat with me. This guy is a giant in our industry, both in the restaurant industry and in the podcasting world. I'm thrilled to be able to uh, to call him a colleague and a friend at this point. Um, I was on his episode, uh, his show on episode uh, 1021. Again, that link is going to be in the show notes. Go check out his backlog. He has talked to some giants in our industry. Uh, and then please, uh, please pass this episode along. If you uh, if you got something from uh, from it, you think others can get something from it pass it along. My last request of you today is that if you haven't done so yet, if you get something out of the show, if you've gotten something out of this show, if this has made an impact on you and your business, it would mean the world to me. If you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review, that more than anything else helps us reach new audience members, helps us move the needle in this, my small business. So again, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and review. Just tell people what you've gotten out of the show, why you tune in and why you continue to tune in. Most importantly, why you think they they should tune in. They would mean the world to me. Thanks again for tuning in. I know there's a lot of great podcasts out there. I look forward to seeing you next time.